Hey guys, welcome back to the Beck and Call podcast. I'm your host, Merritt Beck. As a longtime fashion blogger, I've loved connecting with my audience over the years on all things life, work, love, and everything in between. And I wanted to bring that to life on this podcast. You can consider the Beck and Call podcast a weekly catch up with your internet bestie, where I share personal life updates, recent recs and reviews, and discuss relevant, interesting topics for women in their 20s, 30s, and beyond. I am so glad you're here. So let's get into this week's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. This has been, <laughs> the last week has been absolutely insane. I feel like I say this every week, but it really, it really has gotten crazy around here really since my New York trip, because I am prepping for my sister's wedding this weekend. I'm then going out of the country for a couple weeks and just a lot of stuff is also happening behind the scenes. And so things are snowballing over here. Today is kind of wild because I will have recorded with two different guests by the end of the day, and I'm also recording this intro and outro for this week's episode, but you will be listening to Candace M. Reed today. She is someone I have followed on Instagram for a while now, and she is such a ray of sunshine. She has such a great positive energy. I love her style. She is a stylist. She's an influencer. She's a former ballerina. She's a former pageant contestant. She just has such an interesting story. And I really loved hearing every facet of her life thus far. Before we get into it with Candace, though, I'm going to do my usual weekend recap and recs and reviews, but I'll try to keep it fairly short because we talked for about an hour. So let's get into what I did this past week. So over the weekend, I hosted my cousin, Anna Rose, who is my age. We grew up together in Austin, but really since we left for college, we haven't gotten to spend that much time together aside from like holidays and such because she has lived on a different side of the country. We just haven't crossed paths that much otherwise. And right now she is in Texas in medical school. And so she does have little breaks at the end of her her semesters. And so after her finals of her second year that she just had, she drove up to Dallas to spend the weekend. And it was so much fun getting to spend time with her and catch up and just hang out as adults. I mean, we definitely get to see each other holidays. But like I said, it's few and far between and we never really get one on one time. So that was just really special. My cousin is also a fan of Emma of That's What E Said podcast and Emma's thing on Instagram. And so I texted Emma before Anna Rose came to town to see if she had any free time to get a drink. So we ended up meeting up with Emma Friday night. We decided to go to Clifton Club and knowing that there was a big storm happening that night, I got us an Uber like 25 minutes before we were supposed to be there. Y'all, it was not enough time. We ended up having the hardest time getting over there because where I live to where Clifton Club is, you cross over Turtle Creek and one part of how we were going was flooded. And so we couldn't go that way. And so we then had to go around, but because everybody else was also going around, the traffic was just so like dead stopped for so long. We originally were planning to be there at five, but because of the detour we had to take and all the traffic because of the storm and the water on the roads, we ended up not getting there until five 30. And we were supposed to have dinner at Carbon Vino at seven. 
but we ended up just canceling that reservation and staying put. We figured that would be the easiest with the weather situation as it was. And it was the best time. We sat in the main area by the bar and ordered a couple of food items, had a bunch of drinks. I had a couple martinis, including an espresso martini, which I haven't had in a while, which was lovely. And then we moved to the back area where I think Emma had her meetup there a couple weeks ago. But it was just such a fun girls night. And I loved getting them to get to know each other. That was really fun. And then Saturday morning, Anna Rose and I went on a walk. We went to lunch at Odele. I I took her to all my favorite spots. Took her to lunch at Odele. And then we went over to our mutual friend Madison's house because Madison and Anna Rose grew up together. They went to elementary school together. And Madison is actually my former boss. This is a very weird connection here, but she used to work at LTK, formerly known as Reward Style, when I worked there. And so we know each other. We know each other from Austin as well. And so we went over to her house to hang out with her, catch up with her and play with her three boys, which was very, very fun. Anna Rose majored in engineering in college, and she ended up building them a fort in the backyard, which I found very impressive. Like I have never been very good at like spatial awareness or organization and I just don't like, I'm not good at putting things together. And she just, it's just natural for her. So she went to town on that. And then after that, we went to see, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret, which was so cute. I'll review it in the next segment, but definitely go see it. It is such a heartwarming movie. It's hilarious. So relatable. Uh, I mean, I guess this is my review, but I'll, I'll, I'll say more in the next segment. And then after that, we stopped back by my house to freshen up for dinner and then drove over to Shinsei, which you guys know is one of my favorites, had a great dinner. And then Sunday morning, we, I went on a walk, she slept in, and then we went to breadwinners for brunch before she headed out. And it was just such a fun weekend. It was very low key. We did have lots of plans, but it wasn't there was no stress. We were just kind of like going with the flow and just doing what sounded good. And it was just wonderful. I loved it. And then after she left, I watched TV for a couple hours, but then I kind of had to get some stuff done because this week is short for me. It Today is Wednesday. I'm leaving first thing in the morning for Austin tomorrow. And not only did I need to figure out what I was going to be taking to Austin for the wedding weekend, I also needed to figure out what I would be taking to the second leg of my Argentina trip because my mom and I are first flying to Brazil to do Iguazu Falls, and then we're flying to Buenos Aires. And apparently the intercountry flights down there, they have specific bag restrictions and weight requirements and things. And so I'm packing a separate bag for the second leg of the trip where we're going to Cordoba to give to my stepdad to pack in a rolling piece of luggage with one of my mom's bags. I don't know. It's, it's confusing, but I had to pack a bag in advance for that trip before even packing the other part of for the trip. I don't know. There's a lot happening. <laughs> Clearly I can't even keep it organized in my brain to tell you about it. Um, but I also had been working on a slideshow for my sister's rehearsal dinner and I think it turned out really cute. So that's been going on. There's just a lot happening and I'm really, really excited about this weekend. I'm so looking forward to my trip next week, but I will eventually be looking forward to being back home and getting organized and kind of settling in again, because I think, I feel like things have just been so go, go, go the last few weeks with New York and Anna Rose in town with the wedding and the plans having to happen so quickly and leaving for this two week long trip. It's just, there's a lot, it's a lot going on on top of work that I actually have to do. So yeah, that's, what's been going on around here. 
Now, I do have one more story to tell you. I was actually supposed to record with Candace yesterday, not today, but ended up having to reschedule because after lunch yesterday, I decided I wanted to eat some of the passion fruit that I'd purchased at Central Market. They're having a real tropical push right now, so I've been buying lots of exciting exotic fruits like mangoes and passion fruit and dragon fruit and lots of good stuff. And so I was going to cut into one of those and I, you know, my hand slipped, my knife decided to pick a fight with my finger and the knife won. And it's a pretty big gash at the tip of my finger. I (laughs) immediately freaked out. Blood was gushing. I'm sure you don't want to hear about this, but I'm telling you anyway. And I went to urgent care right away. I had Liza craft an email for me to send to Candace because I was like, I obviously can't record and just be like gushing blood. Like I've got to take care of this before I record with her, but I felt so stupid. And I also felt so bad for having to reschedule because I was so looking forward to chatting with her yesterday, but luckily she was able to schedule it for this morning at 11. So we already recorded. It's an amazing interview. I can't wait for you to hear it in a few minutes. But as I said, I went to urgent care. They numbed up my finger with a shot and then gave me a stitch, just a single stitch, but it was deep enough that, it was sort of like, I'm not going to say anymore. Anyway, it was, it was a bad cut. It's very painful. It's wrapped in a bandaid right now and I'm not supposed to get it wet. So I put on a glove this morning to take a shower. Not my finest hour, not my proudest moment. And because I'll be holding a bouquet this weekend, hopefully no one will notice my bandaged hand. So anyway, it all worked out the way it was supposed to, but I felt extra foolish after that. And leading into this weekend, definitely didn't need that on my plate. Didn't need to be injuring myself, but you know, that's life. Now let's get into some recs and reviews. Last week, I started and finished Tiny Beautiful Things on Hulu, which stars Katherine Hahn. And it's also based off of the book of the same name by Cheryl Strayed, which I've never read, but I really enjoyed the show. And you can definitely watch the show without having read the book. I usually like to read the book before, but I was really running out of TV shows and just wanted, (laughs) I just wanted to watch something. So I watched it, finished it in just a few days. Catherine plays a woman whose life is just not going well, the way she wants it to go. Like she and her husband are in counseling and she's not living with him. She and her daughter aren't getting along. Her work life is very unmotivated and unfulfilling. And she ends up helping out her friend who writes this advice column anonymously. And just at a time when obviously her life is not at all together, she's trying to give advice to people in the same boat. And it's just a really refreshing show. I thought it was hysterical. Catherine Hahn absolutely killed it in this role. I think she plays the kind of crazed raised woman in the depths of despair very well. And as she starts writing this advice column, each episode kind of centers around one question someone has submitted and ends with her answer. And it kind of goes along with the theme of the episode and what's going on in her life. And she kind of ties it back to her advice. It's just really well thought out. I think it's a really well done show and it's, it's sad, but it's also really cute, really funny. There are really heartwarming moments. Merritt Weaver plays her mother when she's younger. And I loved her in that role. She's like a very sweet, caring mom. Who's just like, only wanting the best for her daughter. And so there are a lot of flashbacks with that, with Catherine Hahn's character growing up. It's just, it's great. I really, really loved it. And I'm already looking forward to season two. And then I already mentioned this, but my cousin and I went to see, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And like I said, I had really no reference points to this show because I'd never read the book. I really didn't know much about it. I just know that it's like a special coming of age story. And it really, really is. 
It's about a girl from New York City who moves with her family to New Jersey. She's really against the move, but she's trying to embrace it and make the best of it and make friends. And it's basically following her along as she grows up a little bit. So it's when they're trying to grow their boobs. It's when she's waiting to get her period. It's a lot of that kind of content, which, like I said earlier, it is so relatable. It is so funny. I mean, we were laughing out loud in the theater, which I've said before, I don't do very often. It is such a cute movie, you guys. It's a tearjerker. There are really sweet moments. Rachel McAdams plays the girl's mother. It is it is one of the best movies I've seen in theaters in a while. So I really can't recommend it enough. I absolutely loved it. I would see it again, honestly. One thing I wasn't expecting was there's a lot of conversation around religion because her mom comes from a Christian background, her father's Jewish, and there's just a sense of her not knowing where she belongs. So she goes to temple, she goes to church with her friends, just trying to see where she fits in and like where God has a place in her life. Like obviously God is in the title, but I don't know why it just didn't occur to me that that was going to be an ongoing theme in the story, but it really is. It really examines kind of her coming to terms with what religion means to her, what God means to her, all while she's experiencing these kind of coming of age experiences, like getting your period and growing breasts and all of this stuff and kissing boys and all of that. So it really is just such a cute movie. Like I think everybody should watch it. It it should be required watching for all age groups. And then after my cousin left on Sunday, I started the second part of season two of Firefly Lane on Netflix. This is the one with Katherine Heigl. And the first season was like pretty cheesy. It's still pretty cheesy, but it's definitely grown on me. I really enjoy watching this show. It's about two best friends. There are a lot of flashbacks from when they're kids, but it's just like showing them in romantic relationships and their fights and all of that. And the first part of season two ended with Kate, the blonde one, kind of being diagnosed with cancer. And she and Tully had a big fight, so they're not talking. And the second part of season two is sort of Kate grappling with the cancer, coming to terms with that, getting her treatments. And then eventually she and Tully kind of make up and are back in each other's lives. I have not finished the season, but I'm making my way through it. It's it's very good. It's a tearjerker this season for sure. But it really is... It's a good show, even though it's cheesy and some of the writing is stupid. I really do, really do enjoy it. I don't think there's going to be a season three. So I think season two is where it ends, but I'm excited to get to the end of it. I think I have like four episodes left, so I'm sure I'll provide another little review next week to cap it off, but just really enjoying it so far. And then another show that I started the second season of is From. It's that show on epics that I've told you guys about before. It's kind of a horror genre and season two so far is it doesn't feel that exciting to me yet but I'm hoping it'll pick up I just have a lot of questions like at the end of season one there were a lot of questions that had not been answered and so far the first two episodes have not still not answered any of those questions and in fact there are more questions since the first two episodes of season two so I'm hoping it gets better I thought season one was just such a it was so genius it was such a well-made show I absolutely loved it if you love scary stuff it's worth watching but hopefully they'll be able to pull it together for season two so far I'm just a little bored and confused so we'll see now let's take a break to hear a word from this week's sponsors
If you listened to last week's episode, you'll know I recently went on a long weekend trip to New York. I'm someone who definitely struggles with travel anxiety, especially when it comes to packing for a trip and dealing with luggage at the airport. Did I pack the right stuff? Is my bag going to be too heavy? Will my bag make it all the way to the destination? You know, the usual stuff. But I have found a solution to calm my travel anxiety, and that is base luggage. I've toyed with all kinds of carry-on bags over the years, but recently picked up the base Weekender, and it's definitely going to be my new go-to. Base was created by Shea Mitchell to make sleek, affordable bags, luggage, and accessories designed to help you travel effortlessly while still looking fashionable. I almost always check a bag, so I don't love to also carry on something with rollers underneath. The base Weekender is the perfect size for a carry-on. It's got a laptop sleeve and several interior pockets for organizing my iPhone charger, computer charger, and just other little knickknacks that I like to keep separate and contained. I love feeling organized and having those different compartments is really helpful. My favorite part of the Weekender, though, is the zippered section on the bottom of the bag. It's actually meant for storing shoes, but on my New York trip, I wanted to store an extra handbag in the top part. And so I decided to put my makeup and toiletry bag, travel sized hairbrushes and hair tools in the bottom section. And it was perfect. I loved that it kept it separate. I didn't have to deal with all of the extra, the cords and stuff getting jumbled in the main part of the bag. It was just so nice. Once you get to your destination, the bag collapses flat, making it super easy to store inside your rolling luggage, under the bed or in a drawer, which is so convenient. Every piece is made to look better with miles, so you don't have to worry about it in cargo or overhead, and Bays has over 30,000 five-star reviews. Whether you're packing for a quick trip or looking to breeze through the security line, Bays has your personal items covered. Right now, Base is offering my listeners 15% off your first purchase by visiting basetravel.com slash beck and call. Go to basetravel.com slash beck and call for 15% off your first purchase. That's B-E-I-S travel.com slash beck and call. It's a really good thing I've gotten adept at painting my own nails at home with the Olive and June Manny system because as you heard earlier, my kitchen knife had a disagreement with my finger. With Olive and June's Manny system, you have everything you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. It breaks down to just $2 a manicure, making it much more affordable than a regular visit to a salon. I love being able to do my own nails at my desk so I can keep on working while they dry. It's just so convenient and I can change my polish colors at any time. You can customize your Manny system with your choice of six polishes and the system includes the poppy which is a tool that has totally changed the game for me the poppy is something you slip on over any polish bottle handle to give you a more secure grip for even steady strokes every single time it makes the whole process foolproof even for someone who is not dexterous like myself With my sister's wedding this weekend, I've been trying to select a polish color that is fairly neutral, but obviously still pretty. And luckily I got a new shipment of Olive and June polishes to plate with, and I love what they sent. I'm currently deciding between HGC and MM, both of which are kind of soft blush tones, but I kind of love the idea of topping one of these colors with their frosted gloss, which I also just got. I feel like that chromatic finish glazed donut look is something everyone's doing and I've really wanted to try it myself. So I'm so excited that they sent me the frosted gloss topper. If you're ready to step up your nail game, visit oliveandjune.com slash beck and call for 20% off your first Manny system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E.com slash B-E-C-K-A-N-D-C-A-L-L for 20% off your first Manny system. All right, guys, I am so excited to have Candace M. Reed here with me on the Beck and Call podcast. Thank you for joining me. 
Thanks for having me. I'm super excited for us to like chat and dive into all the things. I know. And I feel like there are so many things I want to talk to you about that I didn't know about you until I kind of did a little deep diving online. Like yeah. Yeah. Stuff like pageantry, ballet. Like I had no idea you did all of these things, but let's back up a little bit and start. Okay. Beginning. Why don't you tell me a little bit about kind of where you grew up, what your childhood was like, what, what's your life been up to at this point? Yeah. So I am a fellow Southern girl. I was originally from Georgia. I've lived in the Midwest for almost 10 years now. So I grew up in the South, total girly girl, hence the pageants, hence the dance. Uh, But I am one of four girls, grew up in a single parent home. And my mom was always encouraging us to explore and to try new things and just to put ourselves out there. So my sisters and myself, we lived a very active like lifestyle. Like we did every extracurricular under the sun, Uh, but life was sweet in South Georgia. Like a lot of friends, a lot of community, small town living, like all the quintessential good things. That sounds so great. I've only been to Georgia a handful of times. I've been to Atlanta and wherever they do the masters once. Augusta. Augusta. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's really cool. And I loved Atlanta. I thought that was such a cool city. The shopping. Yes. Which we can talk about, you know, but <laughs> so good. Is your family still in Georgia? Yeah, they're still in South Georgia. So Bainbridge is four hours south of Atlanta. It's right in the southwest corner. It borders both Alabama and Florida. So like I could drive 20 minutes and get to Alabama and I could drive 20 minutes and I could be in Florida. So like it was kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. Do you have any family in Florida or did y'all just like going there? No, we just like going there. So like Bainbridge is so small. Tallahassee, Florida was like the next big city. So we often ventured there like way more than we would go to Atlanta because it was so close. That's fun. I love Florida. Yeah. Great place. Yeah. Good sun. Yes. So I've I've got to ask you about the pageantry because that's just not something I've ever been involved in. I have done debutante stuff in the South, as I'm sure you're aware that exists. Um, but I never, I wasn't familiar with that world except for my only reference points are like a drop dead gorgeous and miscongeniality. So what was that like? How did you get into it? Yeah. So I started doing pageants at like a young age. And honestly, I don't even know what was my mom's kind of like impetus to even do that. But I always really loved public speaking and the idea of scholarship money was always very enticing to me, which is why I got involved in the Miss America system. Um, So I competed kind of like throughout middle school, high school, almost as practice or preparation, if you will, knowing that I wanted to compete in Miss America. So I competed at the state level for three years um, and it was an incredible opportunity. But at the same token, I think as I began going through that process in that system, you learn that it has its fair level of politics as well. And so after three years and thousands of dollars invested, I was like, I think I have garnered everything that I can for this. And like, it's time to walk away. And so I did that after three years and was very happy with the decision, but it was a fun, it was fun. I got to do my talent. I got to explore costuming and the idea of coming up with like personal style to tell a story. So there were like a lot of pros, but in retrospect, now as an adult, there were like a lot of negatives too. For sure. Now, was that something that you were able to do alongside school? Like I'm assuming mm-hmm. it was very time consuming outside of school. So what? Yeah. Did that I mean, 
So it was a lot of preparations outside of school. So like the, the dual thing about Miss America is that they're promoting like scholastic education. Like a lot of the money that you receive is for uh, scholarship dollars. So it was definitely tracking along with school. I was in college. So like freshman year through junior year, but it was a lot of time invested outside of class. So like talent preparation, like you often met with like a specific coach for that. Then there were events that you had to attend to like make you seem more desirable for the job. So it was like another full-time job in addition to being a student. Gotcha. I, I mm-hmm. can imagine that's, and yeah. I mean, at a young age, being on stage like that, I'm sure is such a great opportunity for just growth. I mm-hmm. was so scared of being on stage. I still am. I'm not the best public speaker, but I feel like that's gotta be so good for building confidence, just right. out there constantly having to speak on a variety of topics. And I don't know. I just think that's really cool. Yeah. I remember like my, um, my interview coach always saying the value in it's good to know a little about a lot versus just knowing a lot about one subject. And that was a lot of the technique in interviewing is like just to be a little well-versed in every topic so that you can carry on a conversation with anyone. Because if you become Miss America, you don't know what room you're going to be in with people and you need to be communicate clearly and effectively about really any given subject. And so I've really taken that with me as an adult to know a little about a lot. Do you feel like that training that you got in interviewing and being on stage and honing your talents and that kind of thing has opened doors for you as an yeah. adult in your actual career? Yeah. Heck yeah. So like literally after I got done competing with Miss Georgia, so again, three years, like my, my first job outside of competing, like never interviewed for it. It was networking and opportunity. Um, and I actually didn't like apply or like physically interview for a job until I moved to Columbus because everything I had was through networking connections from the Miss America organization. So I feel like that more than like paid for the time invested that you kind of get this built-in network that you would have never discovered otherwise. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. Super cool. 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 So I have to ask is dancing was dancing your talent. What was your talent? Yeah. So I did, I was a contemporary ballet dancer, you know, so that was my vibe. So I was always trying to bring like a touch of modernity to classical ballet because it's very common in the Miss America system that everyone does classical. So I always wanted to do contemporary and I loved it. My favorite dance of all time was uh, Taking Chances. It was a song by Celine Dion. That costume was so good with, with rhinestones and it just is like, it was like a, it was a freeing like dance, if that makes any sense. I love that. Were there any other songs that you incorporated into those routines, like of the moment? Like, did you use any current music? Oh, um, so I, yeah, most of mine were current. So, um, Taking Chances by Celine Dawn, that was like on a newer album that she had. And then my last year of competing, I did like a really contemporary dance to, uh, Gravity by Sarah Bareilles, which was like life-changing. I started at this, at the edge of the stage laying down. It was like, that was a great way to go out on Miss America. And then my second year, I did like an OG, like Christian, Christian girl song, which I really love that dance too. That's so fun. So you continued dancing for a while. It sounds like through your college career and then you Mm -hmm. did an internship at the New York city ballet. What was that like? Okay. So to provide some like context. So I got my BFA in dance, but I always knew that I was not good enough to dance at the professional level. And that's like, that's not like a jab. It's just like the react, accepting the reality of like, it's such a small industry and only so few people make it. And I knew that. 
going into it. And so my plan was to be editor of a dance magazine. So I ended up moving to New York and was going to NYU and interned at New York City Ballet. And I worked in the membership office. So I essentially processed all the financial gifts that came into the ballet which was like really fun. But as a part of that, I got to do all the events. So I got to do the huge gala, the the luncheon, like all these cool things. So I wasn't on the artistic side. I was more on the back end side, uh, working behind the scenes to like make sure the ballet had funding and engaging members to buy subscriptions. Gotcha. When, when I read on your website that you did an internship at the New York city ballet. I, for some reason read that as you were part, like you were dancing. I don't know why. Cause an internship, I guess in like medicine is like, you're being a sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I but just, I think that's I a, that's a prime example to show that there's like, there's so many opportunities in the arts beyond performance. Sure. Um, and I think that's what I loved about my time at city ballet and at NYU is that I was, my eyes were open to this whole business side of the artistic world that I don't think that a lot of us think of. And a lot of us are from small town USA where like there's a few people running like a local art department in a town or like a a local theater. But this showed that there was a whole ecosystem of people working together to ensure that the artistry got to be the artistry and all the business was taken care of. Absolutely. It's good to have a well-rounded, well-rounded experience wherever you're working, whether that's in the fashion industry or whatever mm-hmm. you work in, just to see all the cogs and things in place, making yeah. the rest of it work. Yeah. So. But it was, that was super cool. And honestly, it was my time at City Ballet that kind of cultivated my direction in fashion. Okay. How? Okay. So like literally the gala is a, is a huge deal. It happens twice a year. There's a fall gala and a spring gala and the spring gala is the biggest of the two. And at the time city ballet was right next door to Mercedes Benz fashion week, like OG on like on the plaza. I remember seeing everyone like cattle calling to the tents at Lincoln center plaza. And so I just was really enamored by that. And then seeing the fashion at the galas and it got me thinking about how like so many people from the fashion industry were present and also giving really large gifts to the ballet. And it just made me think of like, if I actually wanted to pursue a career in fashion, like I feel like it could be a viable opportunity versus like a scary creative career where I wasn't sure if I was going to make an income or not. Gotcha. So I kind of thought that maybe your, um, your inspiration for doing something in fashion may have come from pageantry because of all of the dresses and fun to pick out for the variety of events you have to do. But that's interesting that it came from your time in ballet and doing that internship. Yeah. And I would have to say too, like fashion was always in the background of like my life, like obviously as dance, like costuming, then in the pageants, like the gowns. And then I always just had a natural knack for like liking clothing. Like it was my goal in high school to get the best dress senior superlative, which I did not get. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so I've always loved clothing. I just never put two and two together that it would, there was an opportunity to have a career in fashion. So what inspired you to go back to school for that? Um, So I was at City Ballet. I ended up leaving New York after that internship was over in my first year of grad school at NYU, got married, which is why I left New York. And our plan was to go back to New York. But after some reflection, it did not make a lot of sense for us to go back to the city. Like it just wasn't the place for Jason and I together and like the life that we wanted to build. And so that provided me with a little bit of time to do some soul searching. 
And so as a part of that, I did a lot of research at the time. Diane von Furstenberg was the president of the uh, Council of Fashion Designers for America and had written this really long essay about if you're interested in being in this space, there are two things that will validate your name in the industry. That's time in the industry or education. And so I opted to get my master's in luxury and fashion marketing from a really reputable school. So I actually had a shot of like making it in the fashion industry um, and kind of moving along. That's awesome. Now, did you know when you were getting that degree that you wanted to go into personal styling or no. were you thinking you would do management? Like what was the, what, what okay. time was the end goal? Okay. At the time I just wanted to work in marketing for fashion. Like I had an interest in social media marketing a little bit naturally because of like what I was already doing online. Like I had already started my blog and was already kind of dabbling into that. And so I thought that would be a really fun way to explore the fashion industry. And it was like a newer discovery that was happening for fashion. But as I worked my way through that program and really began understanding the, the potential opportunities and also on seeing how rapidly social media was changing. I was actually discouraged from doing that, knowing my personality type, like literally leaning into strategy for one brand. And before you even like fully implemented that strategy, the strategy was going to change because of the landscape. And like for a type A individual, that just did not seem like a realistic career choice uh, with the, with the vacillating and change. And so as I was reflecting on what I wanted to do, I was brought back to the fact the, the fact that styling is marketing. It's just for an individual. And there's this unique opportunity to help build a storyboard, much like you would do in traditional fashion marketing, to help someone kind of display what they wanted to share with the world, but in the form of dress instead of like editorial or print or digital, if that makes sense. Yes, totally. Now, when yeah. you personal styling, did you do that on your own or did you start that with a company? How did you get in, yeah. get your foot in the door there? So I had already been like freelance styling and not even realizing that's really what I was doing. So I freelance style through like undergrad, even through graduate school. And so once I decided that I wanted to be a stylist full time, I started exploring opportunities. And then we strategically moved to Columbus, Ohio, uh, because it was a, a blossoming fashion capital at the time. It's actually third in the U.S. Okay. Um, so that was a strategy move. And I began looking for opportunities here uh, with some of the larger corporations. And then I landed with a small styling firm here in Columbus that's been around for 17 years and have been with that team for almost six years now. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. Now, yeah. So like, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying, it's so funny how like your life begins to like connect the dots naturally. And you don't even realize that like life is doing that. And I feel like that's kind of how my career evolution has been. That's so amazing. So in regard to your personal style, how would you describe it? Okay. So I describe my personal style as classically edgy. Like I love classic silhouettes, classic pieces that stand the test of time, but I'm always looking for that little bit of edge or that little touch of juxtaposition that pr- provides an aha moment, like you weren't expecting it. So I, I would say it's classically edgy. So what would, for you, when you go into your closet, what is your kind of day-to-day uniform? Okay. So now day-to-day uniform is, I, I think that it's like different from my personal style, if that makes any sense. Okay. And the fact of like, I need function when I'm dressing every day because I haul 
and I'm schlepping and I'm sweating and I'm doing like all the things for people. So like day to day, it's jeans, a tee, a blazer and a sneaker because comfort is literally queen when you're doing this job. But when I'm going out on the weekends or like socially, um, I still love to go for a jean, but I just got this really beautiful like silk blouse from nonchalant that is has a raw hem with these little Valentino rock studs and then carry like a different bag that has like a different character so that's kind of how I like to combine the like classically edgy element if you will gotcha so when you say classically edgy that's in regard to your personal style but is that also kind of how you approach working with clients as well like how does that I feel like I would have trouble with this with clients if I did this as a job like separating my own style and what I like yeah what they might like. Is that a challenge? Mm -hmm. No, it's not a challenge. Only in the sense of like my number one job as a personal stylist is to literally disconnect myself and my emotions and to listen very intently and to meet them where they are, where they are, and then provide a solution to their need. And so if I'm really attached to my style, then I'm missing I'm missing the fact that they hired a personal stylist to come in and to help them where they where they are and what their need is. And so it takes a little bit of training your brain to get there. But once you do it, it's like the efficacy is incredible. Okay. So just like just learning to not get offended by their preferences because it doesn't have anything to do with you. It's just like mm-hmm. they like and don't like and all that. What, right. have, what have you found people are looking for when they're hiring a stylist or a wardrobe consultant, what, what is kind of the most common need people have? Yeah. So I, I would say the needs are really varied um, and kind of layered. So some people are going through a huge lifestyle change, uh, be that they are now getting married or let's say they got divorced and like life has changed um, or a big career change. They've moved into a junior role to like a more executive or a C-suite role or they simply need time back, but they care about how they look. So they would rather give that responsibility over to someone else. And I kind of cultivate that. We co-collaborate, but they allow me to lead that aspect of their life. Um, So the reasons are really varied. It just depends. But typically our client at Wardrobe Therapy, 35 to 75 years old, and just in a variety of, of spaces in their life where they might need assistance with their wardrobe. And I feel like you've traveled quite a bit for this job. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like new. Oh, is it? Oh yeah. yeah. I guess the pandemic probably put the quash on that, but what's Mm -hmm. that been like? Like, where do you go? What? Yeah. So, okay. I just got back from Atlanta. I just serviced a client who we just need to breathe some fresh perspective into her closet. We need to clean out, get rid of things and just really assess the landscape to understand what she needed to layer back in the wardrobe. So I did that, which was really fun. Um, I traveled to Orlando last year to service a client. Then I have some virtual clients in Boston, whom I love dearly. And then I have a couple clients in North Carolina, and we traveled to New York together to do some shopping. So it really just depends on like the client and like what their needs are and what they're hoping to do. Uh, We do service people virtually, but there's nothing like physically being present in the wardrobe to understand at a high level and to see with your eyes. Um, Because sometimes virtually you're not able to see those little idiosyncrasies and those little details that you can just see with your natural like naked eye. So sometimes you have somebody who hires you and wants you to do all of the shopping for them. They don't want to be involved, but sometimes you actually go shopping with clients. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fun. I, yeah. 
must be so great to have such variety in your everyday. Like sometimes you're working with people virtually, sometimes you're traveling, sometimes yeah. you do it all by yourself. Sometimes it's more fun to be collaborative. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. And I love that. Like we work in a process and it's kind of like what we, we pride ourselves on as a company, but be, to be able to take that process and tailor it per the needs of the individuals and to have something happening a little different from the day before is what keeps it fresh and exciting and energizing. Absolutely. So I guess one other question I had regarding hiring a personal stylist, Mm -hmm. how do you help your clients find what their personal style is? That's something, that's a question that I get often as a fashion blogger. And Mm -hmm. I'm, I have a hard time answering it because I'm just like, well, I just buy what I like, but like, what if people don't know? Some people don't know what that is. Yeah. So a lot of it's asking a lot of questions and you keep like probing. So like, you may be like, okay, so tell me what you think you want your style to be. And oftentimes clients will kind of go on a tangent of explaining. And then it's my job to take some details from that question and bring it back to another question that I might've asked, like, okay, so what colors do you really like to lean into? So it's a little bit of, I mean, therapy, honestly, and listening very intently to kind of help pull together details. And then I like to ask questions about like, if they're virtual, like their home, to understand what your home style is, because when, what, what's cool about style is your personal style transcends every area of your life. Like I know that from you, like I've seen pictures of your home online. I'm like, Oh yeah, Merit would totally wear that dress. Like, because it kind of resonates with her persona in total. And so I ask a lot of questions about life as a whole to understand and get to the nitty gritty of what is the personal style DNA. Gotcha. Do people also hire you to like help clean out their closets, like knowing what to get rid of, when to get Mm -hmm. what to hold on to that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So like when we first come into the home, we take measurements, we understand shape and silhouette um, and talk really, really specifically about that. And then talk about lifestyle. And then from there we lean into cleaning the closet out. I mean, cleaning the closet out is very critical actually to understanding personal style because I began to see the questions and like, we talk about things and they're like, well, I never liked that. And I was like, okay, well, we have now pulled out six peasant blouses. You are not boho. <laughs> so I'm able to, you know, I'm able to, to nix that off the list. And then I'm left with the items that we do have. I'm like, okay, you're classic with an artful twist, which is different from boho. So like, it helps me to understand those like detail kind of things that allows me to do the job at the best possible level. That is so true. I feel like we all probably have those things in our closet that we keep buying that we don't realize we don't actually love on us. I right. definitely experienced that in my own closet. And for one, I feel like it's blouses with really big, well, sleeve. Not, not this, this is not that, but like really billowy sleeves because I have mm-hmm. a bigger chest and I just end up feeling like it's not a flattering look on me. And so I don't wear them, but like, I'll buy them still. <laughs> I don't right, know. Right. Do Do you remember? Well, I'm sure you remember because you just got back from New York. Was it the Pat Bow dress that you had on in gold? Was it Pat Bow? Yes. It's like fringe knit and has cutouts. Yeah. So this is like, because I'm a stylist and I'm like crazy. I literally, that dress brought me back to a little vignette in your home that you have staged with frames and artwork and it's all different textures. Mm -hmm. So it was like, that's a prime example of like how things begin to like overlap when your style just transcends all areas of your life. For sure. I love that. Okay. I had some style questions for you since you're an expert. Okay. Um, What are some core pieces everyone should have hanging in their closet? 
Okay, core pieces. I feel like you could never go wrong with a classic white button down. I know a lot of people are like, that's so predictable, but it really is an amazing piece that will transcend years in your life and really always work for you. Um, so I think that's like iconic to have. I very much feel the same way about like a medium wash pair of jeans. It's that nice in between, like it's not so dark that you only feel like it's classified for evening, but it's not too light where it only feels like daytime. Medium wash is kind of middle of the road for you. I also think a loafer is really important to have, be that full back or a mule, either is fine. And then Two jackets one should always have is a trench and a denim jacket, and then a really, really great solid basic white and black tee. And I know those are like, a lot of people are like, well, those are basic, but they really are core foundation pieces that you can take and transcend into so many different facets of your life, be that from like work to casual to play to all the things, and also a silk camisole. I agree with you so much. I have quite the collection of trench coats. I have loved trench. I feel like Meghan Markle actually inspired this. Yes. I've just over the years collected so many. I especially loved the ones that Club Monaco used to do a lot that were sort of like a drapey Mm -hmm. situation. They're just, they add such an instant polish to any outfit. Like I love pairing it with just a tee and jeans and ballet flats or sneakers when I'm traveling. It's just, it's so key in my wardrobe. And so that's definitely something that I've also recommended to people. Now, do you find that your clients, have you ever had somebody ask or request like a capsule, like to create a capsule for them? Or do you find that not to be? I like personally, this is a strong statement. I think that capsules are trash. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, why? (laughs) That's really strong because I think that like life, changes so much and like we do live in a fashion driven like society I think there's a very small percentage of people who can actually live within a capsule like 10 to 15 percent of people you know and they really live a minimalist life and you can see that in total again in their personality and in every area of their life but I think it kind of becomes this rut of like a lot of people want a capsule wardrobe but we're still, we still have a fast fashion spend and like it defeats the purpose essentially because like this goal of like wanting to buy less, but then the quality of the clothing doesn't actually last. So you're still buying. And so I don't know if we have a fashion, a fashion economy that's really set up for people to have an affordable capsule wardrobe, if that makes any sense. Well, I never said anything about affordable. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm thinking like, yeah, I'm thinking about like everyday people who often ask for like a capsule wardrobe. I think it's really hard uh, because like our ecosystem isn't built to have really great, like sustainable pieces that will stand the test of time and allow you to like really work those 40 pieces time and time and time again. For sure. Now, as a blogger, that's something that I I do. I create capsules. Now, they're mostly for inspiration. Like I obviously mm-hmm. in my closet, you'll know that I do not do capsules in my own life, but for some reason they're just like very popular. It's very popular content. I guess it's just that people want endless ideas and inspiration for mm-hmm. their outfits and pieces they already have. And so that's actually become a very successful part of my business as creating these right. capsules each season. But yeah, I totally agree with you. Like it's not realistic. I think you're always going to want something fun or trendy each season. Right. Even if you're not somebody who really gravitates towards trendy items. Right. 
life, you want it to be exciting. Fashion is fun. That's the whole point. Right. Personality. Shopping. Yeah. And, so. and I guess I should say too, I think capsules are great because I think they seem ideal. The ideal of like having 10 pieces or even like some people like, well, I just want this capsule to get me through this season because I'm going through a lifestyle change. So I think there's a time and a place for a capsule. But I think when you think about fashion in total, I feel like they end up sometimes pigeonholing people from experimenting and playing and really using fashion as this unique opportunity to tell a story about who they are. Totally. I agree Mm -hmm. with you. I'm still going to create mine because they're keep creating them. (laughs) People love them. What can I say? What is the most challenging part about working with styling clients? The most challenging part I have to say. Hmm. Is honestly the organization of it all. (laughs) The organization of like styling multiple people at multiple times and like the pace of shopping, the things coming in. My number one job is to like be a chameleon to different people's needs. So I don't want to say like keeping that straight because like that is that is the, a part of the job. But I think just the influx of like, this person has this and like, it's my job to not necessarily buy the same thing for that person to find something unique and different for each client. So pushing myself to stay creative and to stay energized where I'm not falling into this repetitious pattern of just going to the same places, but really stretching myself to find unique options for each individual. That's great. I feel mm-hmm. like something you see with interior designers that they sometimes do get pigeonholed and they have a look that they always gravitate towards and suggest. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that would be hard because again, it's like, okay, we get it. You like this style, but can you also like appreciate and listen to the client and who doesn't love that? And, yeah. Present something mm-hmm. kind of shows that you still have like a taste, but also can listen and absorb and present something, right. I guess. Right, right, right. So I call it like, I like, I don't even really know what it is. Cause I'm still like growing as a stylist, like six years. Well, I do know what it is. I feel like my signature is color. I always mix and match color for clients and unique combos. And I feel like that's the Candace Reed, like sign off. Um, but yeah, it's my job to like, make sure it's different from the other person. And like each person has their own distinct style. And I think one of the best ways to ensure you're doing that is shopping variety to ensure that like there's not an overlap. It can conceptually be the same idea, but the pieces, the styling, all of it's essentially different. Gotcha. Now moving into kind of social media, since you're also an influencer, Mm -hmm. do you refer to yourself as one? Yeah. I mean, Yes. I feel like I'm kind of evolving to where I'm like, I don't know if I like that anymore. Yeah, And I I don't know if that's just because like, I'm so immersed in my career as a stylist. So now I've been saying I'm a stylist who has influence. Like I have a community online and I just, so I kind of say that, I don't know if that even makes any sense, but that's what we're doing. Totally makes sense. So when did you start your Instagram? Was that Was it just for fun before you started styling or was it kind of in tandem? Like how did you approach your online persona? So I started my Instagram, really, I just got Instagram right before I moved to New York from my small town of Bainbridge. And I started my blog as really a way to keep people up to date on all my adventures. I was a small town girl going to a big city and like that does not happen frequently. And so it kind of started there. And then as I lived in the city, it really evolved into this kind of like fashion diary of like things that I was seeing on the streets or like things I was feeling really inspired by. And then once I left New York, 
I kind of went all in on it as a creative outlet because I was living in West Virginia, which is beyond remote and like not like New York. And so that was just a different time of life where like we we didn't have a lot of money and I needed to get creative about my fashion, my outfits. And so it became this storytelling kind of diary of like how I took $25 at TJ Maxx and made it freaking work. You know, here are 10 outfits that I made with that. So it kind of started as that. And then it just has evolved with each year and each facet of my life. Gotcha. Now I would imagine it's very nice to not have to rely on your Instagram for income, but that is a great medium for sharing the content. You're kind of already living, you're creating mm-hmm. as you're doing styling. So do you, have you ever thought about taking it full time or is that just something you still like as sort of a supplement and it's a fun thing to do in addition to styling? Yeah. So I guess I should say before I started styling full time, I was influencing full time. Okay. I missed that. Okay. Yeah. I don't even like, it's not even very clear. Like it's not like a common thing that people know, but I found that job very lonely to be completely truthful. Um, And I just so desired community, but I love sharing with people. So like I knew once I had wrapped up with grad school that I wanted to get a full-time job. And I'm just really lucky that they both balance each other. Like, I think if I was working in a traditional corporate, like fashion setting, I could still do it, but it would be a lot harder truthfully, but I really enjoy sharing in a large open forum, which is what social media provides me with versus like in styling. It's one-on-one, very specific, very niche, very specific to that individual. And so I feel like I get to share two sides of my heart for lack of better words by sharing to the mass and then sharing uniquely in an intimate setting with a client. And so I love the balance of both. Gotcha. Now I imagine you are very, very busy with Mm -hmm. dialing because you're traveling, you're doing virtual stuff. You're in person a lot with people. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's hard to find time to post consistently on Instagram and keep your blog up to date and all of that. Can you share some tips for your own time management and how you keep yourself organized? So I literally live by a calendar. I live by my Google calendar. um, And I um, also live by time blocking, which is a newer technique that I like. I learned maybe three years ago and I feel like I'm just now mastering it like three years in. So time blocking is essentially where you like create a schedule in like a block system and you literally Bible honor it like you honor it. You don't move it. You don't swap something for something else. Like you literally just adhere to the calendar. So I do that pretty regularly. And then I have an office day on Thursdays. So like, I don't see clients on Thursdays, which gives me some headspace, but transparently, I also have a team that helps me run Candace and Reed. So like it's still functioning on its own. So I have an assistant and then I work with a gal on some copy Um, I have a graphic designer. And so there are other people who are supporting me to make that work happen regularly and pretty seamlessly. So it's the time blocking and then finding great people that you believe in that also believe in you and that are willing to like make sure things are still functioning, even when you don't have a lot of capacity. For sure. I have found that outsourcing stuff has been helpful. It's it was hard for me early on. I'm such a control freak and very type A. Like same, letting same. things go is such a challenge, but mm-hmm. um, it definitely helps. Like I recently started outsourcing my podcast editing. I was editing all of the episodes, including guest episodes by myself before. What? 
made such a difference. Let me tell you, it's only been like a week, but I can tell I'm going to be much lighter. You're like, I'm going to be happier. Yes. I mean, it's so time consuming on top of like all of the other content we're creating. So. Right. Oh, another note about time management, which this is hard for our generation and culture is like building in weekly times for rest. It's really hard to keep going and to give creative ideas or creative solutions or great outfit options if you're always living from a depleted well. And so like I try to take Saturdays like on my calendar, it's like Candace, honor your day off. Like even though there are things to do, those things to do are always going to be there. And so there's nothing wrong with me taking rest to recharge and to make sure that I'm healthy so I can give and share from a creative perspective place rather than a depleted place. So I feel like rest is something that I began to prioritize that has allowed me to keep functioning at a high level. I need to do that. (laughs) It's so hard. It's so hard. It is. It's hard to let go. And especially when you are running your own business, it's hard to stop because you're like, who's going to do it? it. Yeah. If you don't do it, nobody else will. So yeah, get that. I need to do better about that though. And just, you know, when I'm just doing, just stop working. Don't yeah, don't and, on my phone. Yeah. And I like, I like plug my phone in, in the bathroom. Like it's not near my bedside. So that, and then like lately, like, okay, if I have had like an eight hour day of like, you know, typically I can see two clients in a day, three hour appointments at each. But by the time I've commuted and the time I've c- come back home and then made a few stops, I've worked eight hours. And so giving myself permission of like, okay, you are maxed out on styling. You need to put that down. And like, you can respond to those emails tomorrow. Like it's going to be okay. So I do a lot of pep talk because I am so like task driven that I just want it checked off, but there's always more task. One thing that I love about your Instagram is how positive you are. I feel like you're always sharing good mantras and reminders and just motivation for people to stay positive and look at the bright side and make sure mm-hmm. that is going right. Do you find that you're just a naturally optimistic person or was that something that you had to work towards? Um, I think it's something that I've had to to work towards. I would say that like in, in my younger years or like my twenties, for lack of better words, I think a lot of it was false positivity in the sense I've like gone through therapy and like done a lot of like digging and soul searching. And so I feel like I was positive. But there was like, I had not done a lot of like deep soul searching. So it was surface level positiveness. Whereas like now that I've like gone through therapy and like processed trauma and dealing with those things, I've now trained myself to like, it's actually okay to like edify and encourage yourself and like to talk yourself out of the funk. Or if I am feeling stressed or anxious or depressed, like to live in that moment and then start to dig my way out. And so it feels it feels much more authentic now than it did five years ago because I've done a lot of self-reflecting and have dug into those like not so fun places to be honest, which allows me to like live much more free now. I love that. Okay. I definitely want to get to mocktail Mondays, but I wanted to ask you, so with social media, obviously there are pros and cons and it's nice that it's part of your business, but you're not totally reliant on it. I'm sure you've gotten some clients though from it. Oh yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, have you, have you had any pain point pain points with it? Like anything that you've struggled with over the years in terms of like either setting boundaries or just like keeping up with posting, like what have been, have you, if any, if you've had any issues with it? What yeah. Have- 
So I feel like with me, my double bind has always been, um, I want to share it and I want to share consistently, but at the same time, if I'm so locked into a schedule and like, so pre-planned, it doesn't work for me creatively. Like, I feel like my Instagram is really a natural or, and my blog is a natural extension of how I'm feeling creatively in the moment. And I think like the great thing about the influencer industry is that it's become almost this like digital editorial system that is fantastic. But for those like in the moment creatives, it almost like doesn't work. So I do think that for me, it, it is nice that I don't have to rely on the income from influencing solely, but I get to have this happy medium of the two and I can kind of create in real time and be inspired by that. So I feel like that's always been the double bind of like how pre-planned do I present myself and then how organically am I like open and present to new ideas and finding the nice balance between the two of those. Yeah. I think, I think it's great to have a content calendar just to kind of give you an idea of what you're going to put allowing the flexibility to just kind of go with the flow and see how you're feeling. And, you know, which I'll say as like a type A person is a very interesting dichotomy, like of being planned and wanting to follow the plan because that's your natural DNA. Mm -hmm. But then also having this creative side where you're like, well, I really just want this creative element or creative piece to flow through me. And so it's been a lot of, um, a lot of work to balance those two sides of my personality into in this business. Gotcha. So one thing that you've done, that's been very popular. It has gone viral. Your mocktail Mondays that you've been doing. How long have you been doing that series since COVID? Okay. I mean, they are so well produced. All of the mocktails look incredible. What has yeah. been your favorite one that you've created so far? So my favorite one I've created so far is like really OG, like, one of the first ones from the stay at home order was a Paloma using ritual tequila alternative that hands down is one of my favorites. And actually one of my favorite drinks to make, it's like super easy to whip up. I love a Paloma. I feel like they're very popular here. Tequila is very popular in Texas. Okay, So hot in the summer. Yes. <laughs> like and it has like soda water. So it feels yeah. kind of like a spritz, right. but like, but it's still like a good solid beverage. So good. And I don't know, it's pink. It's cute. Cute yeah. <laughs> I love it in a tall glass or like, you know, more of a whiskey glass, just some cute, cool cubed like ice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's just a lot of opportunity. It could be classic or you can like jazz it up. Now you've shared on your blog and talked about it a little bit on your Instagram, but can you share a little bit if you're comfortable how you decided to live a sober lifestyle and like what brought you? Yeah. So what b- brought me to living a uh, spirit free, if you will. So when Jason and I got married, uh, he was serving at our church and one of the asks to serve on leadership is to not consume alcohol along with a list of other things uh, like no tobacco, no gambling, all these things. And that really just started as um, if you're going to be a leader to be above reproach for the group of people that you're leading and all of that good stuff. And so while I wasn't serving on leadership, Jason and I had just gotten married And it's always been really important to me to live in a household and to have a family unit where we're on one accord. And so even though we may disagree about certain things, when it comes down to family function and what we want for our family and our kids, I think it's like really important. And so I was like, well, we just got married. 
And I think that like, this is something that we should just be in sync on. So I'm going to choose not to drink as well. And so that's really how it started. And Jason's still serving on leadership at our church, which is fantastic. Same church that we've been going to for forever. Even though we moved, they planted one here. And so at that point in my journey, it just became this fun conversation with people of like, well, why do you, why do you not drink? And then finding cool things for people to enjoy. Um, And so it just kind of became a part of like, I don't want to say like our personality, but we became known as like the couple who doesn't drink. And we were always introducing our friends to like cool spirit free alternatives. So that's really how we, how we got here 10 years in, which is crazy. And I mean, that's where mocktail Monday came from. I'm assuming Mm -hmm. essentially uh, because there wasn't at the time when we stopped drinking 10 years ago, there were not cool things. It was still cranberry juice and soda water. And so slowly NA wines became a thing here in the States. And then now, you know, we have NA spirits and NA alternatives and like the non-alcoholic category is expected to be a trillion dollar industry by like 2027, which is insane. So it's been really cool to be a part of like a gradual market shift, if you will. For sure. Now, what would you say are some of your favorite non-alcoholic spirits? Okay, so I love anything from Liars, and it's L-Y-R-E-S. They're from Australia. Um, they they have a full range of products, and the full range is meant to mimic any uh, traditional spirit that they have, which is the Liar Songbird. Like, their branding is also just really, like, jazzy, so I love them for that. And then I also love Ritual, which is here in the States. You can find it at Whole Foods, but you can get it online. And then there, there's a lot of other ones, but I tend to prefer the spirits that are reminiscent of a standard alcohol. So like a vodka alternative, a tequila alternative, a a rum alternative, because it allows you to still use classic cocktails and just reimagine them with the NA spirit. So when you're dining out, what do you typically order? Because I'm sure not every restaurant or bar, I don't know how often you're going to bars if you're not drinking sober bars. I mean, regularly, like I still go because I travel. I still go to like a lot of cocktail bars or like the hotel bar downstairs. So regularly. And I often ask the bartender, it's like, okay, what's your, and I've been doing this lately to show importance. I was like, do you have a non-alcoholic cocktail menu? Because I think that's been the biggest shift here lately is like, they're, they're not even mocktails anymore. They're making it this idea where it's a cocktail that just doesn't have alcohol. It's crafted at such a high level. So a lot of them will say they don't have anything, which is fine. Um, So I was like, so what's, what drink do you like to make? Can you craft me something with a sweet citrus profile And they often say yes. And then I'll just experiment and we'll try a couple of things and kind of go from there. Yeah. I have noticed that in the last, almost really the last year, more so than any other before that you're seeing the mocktails on the menu or they'll Mm -hmm. like temperance, like temperance drink, zero proof. Yeah. Zero proof. Yes. They've yes. And I feel like restaurants and bars are getting really good about it. I mean, mm-hmm. and they're not like super expansive, like not a huge menu, but like, I can always, I, I did dry January and February and I still was like going out to eat and stuff. And I wanted to have mocktails and yeah. I had great luck. Like there was one place that made me the most delicious passion fruit. I'm having a passion fruit. You're party. like, it's a moment, <laughs> <laughs> um, but they made me the most delicious passion fruit mocktail. And I was like, this is better than a cocktail. Cause you know, I'm not yeah. going to tomorrow. <laughs> so good. Like I went to this, um, Michelin star restaurant in Nashville called Yoan, and they only had three cocktail mocktails on the menu and it was, they were delicious. Like incredible. And so I think what's really interesting that a lot of people are like having a hard time with though, is that like, why are these handcrafted drinks still costing 
the same amount of money as a alcoholic cocktail because it takes just as much work to mix and match those profiles for it to be delicious. Right. You're just not paying for the booze. You're just, you're paying for the artistry, the craft, the artistry of it all, which is fun. Yeah. Now, have y'all ever been to a sober bar? They're like starting to pop up everywhere. No, so we have not been to a sober bar. We had one here in Columbus, but it was not my vibe. It was sports bar. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, I want Schwank. Yeah. Like, where is just Schwank alcohol free cocktail bar? Um, oh. but I think we'll end up getting one in Columbus, but I haven't been to one. If you ever come to Austin, I haven't been yet, but I had Amanda White. She's a therapist and she also wrote a book on living a sober lifestyle. It's called Not Drinking Tonight. If you mm-hmm. if you checked it out, you should check it out or haven't checked it out. You should check it out. But she was telling me about all of these different sober bars. And there's one in Austin called Sands Bar. And that's all they have. They have all kinds of different zero proof liquors and non-alcoholic. I was just in Austin. I should have gone. Yeah. So anyway, and apparently they're going to open another one in Dallas, maybe. I don't know. So they're probably I'll keep my eyes posted. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What was it like growing up with three sisters? I had one and that was too many. <laughs> um, definitely a little chaotic. So my oldest sister, Natalie is seven years older than me. So like she was basically out of the house by the time I was in fifth grade. So it's really like myself, Allison and Gabby, like we're a tight, a tight little crew, but we were always very active. I mean, I think the most chaotic thing was sharing a bathroom. Mm. with all of us. Uh, And then there was a season of time where three of us shared a room because Natalie was the oldest. So she got her own room. But I think like just the different personalities and the different life cycles that girls go through. And like, we were all at different stages at different times. And that just created interesting energy in our house, but we all got along, but we were always very adamant about like, those are my clothes, not your clothes. Um, Mm -hmm. It's my time to be in the bathroom. So just the strategy of living with sisters. It's Perfect. its an interesting one. It's complicated. It's complicated. But like some of my best childhood memories are like, you know, hanging out in our bunk beds and like, you know, complaining together about being disciplined or whatever it may have been. But yeah, good times. Now, are y'all, do you have very different personalities? Like, are they also into fashion? What's the vibe? No. We all could not be more different. So my oldest sister, incredibly smart, so smart. She could be on freaking Jeopardy. She has an educational background. So like loves helping people. I'm the fashion girl, creative traveler. Allison, my sister, she's a pharmacist. So science kind of background, but loves people and community. And then my sister Gabby is a Spanish teacher. So like we all are very different and have very different interests, um, which, which also makes like our family dynamic very cool. I'm sure it gives you lots to talk about when you get oh, like a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's so fun. And y'all are all really close still, I imagine. Yeah. So like they're all there. I would say they're even more close because they also live in the same town. And so I go home about two to three times a year, but yeah, we talk on the phone regularly. We have a group chat. We, my youngest sister just had a baby who's a freaking peanut. So the whole group chat is filled with photos of him. So it's been, that's been a nice way to bring us all together. Like in a fresh way It's like, we have a nephew and that's like really fun and exciting. Yes, that is. That's so fun. So how do you feel like growing up around so many women has impacted your life? Just the fact of like women can do anything. My mom like raised us to be really strong and independent. And like, we saw that ethos in our home through her working as a single parent. So I think that was incredible. Uh, but also the the dual side of that, like, it's okay to like lean into to emotion and to feel the feels and like, 
also embrace that side of you. But I definitely think it impacted me to like, you can do anything you put your mind to. No, it's not, it's not, no, it's not up for like discussion. Like if you choose to do something, you can do it and just give it 150%. Um, and that you have great community of like other women behind you, like rooting for you to do that exact thing. So I feel like a lot of community. That's great. I love that. Okay. I've got a couple of more lightning round questions. Okay. What is your favorite must have Holy grail skincare or beauty product? Okay. Holy grail right now is the fresh, um, lip treatment that I, I like, love it. It's like an exfoliant Holy grail. Love it. It's like underrated and people should like it more. I love the fresh brand. I actually have me too. I think it's good. Yeah. Lots of good face masks too. Mm -hmm. Who is your current favorite fashion designer? Without question, Celine. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. They're having a moment and I'm here for it. What do you love from them right now? Um, So right now, I mean, honestly, their handbag game is so strong that I feel like any Celine handbag, but also they have this little cropped like tweed jacket that gives you Chanel vibes, but it feels much more wearable, much more accessible. So I love that. Yeah. I think I saw, they had like a lavender one. The last, I, last mm. time I went, we have a store in one of our local shopping centers, which is so nice to be able to just like go in and just get inspired. I'm not like buying stuff there every time I go, yeah. but, uh, they had a beautiful lavender tweed one. Oh, so good. Cute. Best Met Gala look since we're coming off of that last night. Oh, best Met Gala without question. Anne Hathaway. She looked amazing. I think that like her stylist, Erin Walsh has just done such a great job cultivating her. And she's, she's my favorite, like one of my favorite best dressed celebrities right now. Totally. I feel like, didn't she, what it was like right around maybe when that show came out that she did with Jared Leto, she had so many amazing fashion looks when she was going to and from interviews, just like, yeah, <laughs> she's killing yeah. She's killing it. Yeah. What is one fashion trend you wish would go away? The corset crop tops. Okay. Yes. Goodbye. Yes. Yeah, I'm well, over it. That isn't even something that I, that would have come to my mind, but I've been seeing them a lot more like in the newer <laughs> sections on websites. And I'm like, now who's, who's going to wear that? How are you going to wear that? Where are you going to wear that? <laughs> like, I have so yeah. Many- like I have a lot of questions. Yeah. So agreed. I wish that trend would be done. Okay. And then one more. What is a piece of advice you wish you could tell your younger self? Um, I wish I could tell my younger self to be a bit more flexible and open to change. I think that's so great. I think everybody should. <laughs> yeah. Like I grew up with, uh, with, for myself rigid in a box, like this is what I'm going to do at this point. This is what I'm going to do at this point. And my life has not happened that way at all. Well, I think that's great advice. Candice, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I loved getting to chat with you. Same. This was so fun. Let's do it again. Like I'll take two. I would love to. Why don't you share where people can find you? Yeah. So you can find me at www.candicemreed.com and that will take you to all the places I hang out on social. And then on my blog, you'll find lots of great fashion content that I write about. Love it. Well, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. So fun. that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider giving Beck and Call a five-star rating or writing a review on Apple Podcasts. 
You can also follow along on Instagram at Beck and Call Podcast, and you can follow me as well at Merit Beck for more fashion, travel, and lifestyle content. Thanks again for tuning in, and I will catch you guys next week. Bye.